1: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be able to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job's not just to entertain, it's to educate, it's also to teach you. So call me. Call me at one 800 743 cbc or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We are so, so spooked by inflation... That it's got us jumping in shadows. This morning, we got a consumer price index number that ran, oh, red eye Up 0.4%, which gives you a 5.4% year-over-year increase, and that is the highest since 1991. In response, we got a cascade of selling. Sell, 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 sell. This morning is, of course, the inflation do what they do best, freaked out. But then the market rebounded from those levels. Dow ultimately dipping just one point. S and P advancing 030 percent, and the Nasdaq, which thrives on disinflation, jumping 073 percent. Because, because, because the self made no sense. As someone who bought and sold thirty year Treasuries in the early eighties when they yielded fourteen percent, forgive me if I don't lose my mind over inflation when the thirty years at two percent. Rather than taking your cue from the stock market, maybe you should have been watching the bond market. Bonds are the ultimate arbiter of inflation. what they do? Treasuries actually rallied today, sending their yields lower, perhaps because we got some data from JP Morgan indicating weaker consumer spending. If it's true that the Fed's really on the verge of tightening, the bond market sure is a funny way of showing it. Maybe, though, I had an alternate theory, when bounce off you. Maybe, just maybe, some people are thinking that inflation could soon peak meaning that this might be one of the last red hot CPI numbers. Maybe that's what the Nasdaq said when it rallied so hard. Now, I know that's contrary to the conventional wisdom that inflation's here to stay and the Fed's too weak or clueless to stop it. But let me give you an alternative scenario to explain why bonds are rallying, even as inflation is supposed to be steamrolling the entire world. Now, I'm going to have to dust off my old whip, my win inflation now button. That's right. Whip inflation, win inflation. This thing was crazy, do you believe it or not? But during the Gerald Ford administration in the 70s, we all walked around with this win inflation. We beat inflation now, whip inflation now, buttons we had. I can't believe I actually wore one. I mean, you can see them on eBay. Go ahead. You can Google. I mean, you can eBay. Well, you can Google and then go to, eBay. you know, people made a lot of bad fashion choices in the 70s. But that pin was one of the worst I ever made, other than the powder blue tuxedo I rented from my junior prom that I swear was made of Scott paper towels. Back to the peak inflation thesis. Let me give you some suppositions that make a ton of sense here. Write these down if you want to, because I think they're pretty important. First, last night we checked in with our resident commodities expert, Carly Garner, who told us that historically oil tends to peak when? Now, this week. That's your takeaway from the last 30 years of data. Now, this week. I know it's just history, but the trends are the novel. Remember, Garner's the one who warned us to be ready for a natural gas peak. Boom! We got one. Even a week ago, everyone else thought they could easily go above six dollars, maybe nine or ten. Hey, but don't forget also Sharif Suki, the chairman of Tellurian and the pioneer of natural gas export business. He also thinks the top is already in for America. So we check natural gas. We can check maybe oil. I had another one though. Now, as I've been picking stocks for a long time, I've kept my eye on a commodity. It's been a fantastic bellwether for the economy, and that's a commodity called liner board. Think boxes, corrugated. Okay. Now, we know you can't do business without packaging. linerboard has been up and away for a long time. But today, Truist issued three reports. One was on Westrock, one was on International Paper, and the third was on Packaging Corporation of America. And they rated all three as holds. And this just, this jarred me, people. The moment I saw that, I knew the commodity that's most sensitive to industry, corrugated boxes, must be peaking. Truist sees lots of new capacity coming online, with demand potentially slowing as e-commerce goes back to normal. Now, maybe because my father was an old liner board salesperson, OK, uh, I work for Stone. I know that when this product peaks, you got to look out below. It means that the producers got greedy and put up too many factories. So prices are now going to spiral lower. It's been so long since people have seen what an actual downturn in inflation looks like, a downturn caused by overcapacity, that they've forgotten pricing really can be a two way street. Maybe it just had to be as old. Maybe it had to be someone who saw his father come home and watched the price of liner board collapse and knew what was going to happen to our family. Speaking of two-way streets, it's not just container board. If you look at what the analysts are forecasting for the chemical companies, and remember, these are the companies that make the building blocks of American industry. They're almost all expecting a down 2022. Again, why? Because of overbuilding, overcapacity, pricing going lower. That's right. Packaging, which we keep hearing is a key component of raging inflation, is going to come down and come down a lot faster than most can process. I am saying that, and I'm going to be right. You may think that the big-name consumer brands will simply keep their prices elevated, giving them amazing gross margins once packaging costs come down. Nah, that's not the way it works, people. The big retail chains will make knockoff products, you know, with funny brand names like Kirkland. I happen to like that from Costco. And price them well below the branded stuff because they can see how much money can be made even well below. Consumers are now educated enough to know that these private labels, like Kirkland, are every bit as good as the nationally branded stuff. As a matter of fact, I happen to think Kirkland's a lot better than most of the branded stuff. Price kills. Fourth, how many times have we heard that this port congestion is the biggest bottleneck to getting goods where they need to go, causing prices of everything imported to spike? But President Biden has now ordered the congested constituencies to come together and figure out a way to deal with the dozens of container ships that are waiting to be unloaded at all times off the California coast, including a mandate that these ports operate 24-7. Now, maybe you think that many of these ports are already going all out seven days a week. Makes sense, right? Yet Last week, we spoke with a fellow named Ryan Patterson. He was the CEO of a little alpha called Flexport Private. He said there is such a little sense of urgency out there. If you're actually on the ground, you won't believe it. He talked about the desultory unloading he's seen on Saturdays at a port. Despite what you might have heard about stretched hours and how it's obvious the system is hardly broken, a couple of cranes working, that's all he said was doing. If we can fix the ports at the same time the factories start recovering from COVID in Southeast Asia and commercial airline traffic to Southeast Asia comes back, opening up more cargo space, in the belly of these planes for semiconductors, inflation will cool down dramatically. Supply chains aren't so much broken as they are chaotic and idiotic. We have little data, no organizational pinpoint. Government should just bring in an Amazon Web Services Pro or Workday or Adobe or Salesforce legend to take a leave of absence and solve this thing. And if it takes higher wages for truck drivers and longshoremen, so be it. You know what? That's called the cost of doing business. We know people work for higher wages even when the conditions aren't ideal or are suboptimal. I remember going up to the Bakken Shale during the great North Dakota oil rush of 2011. It was a gazillion degrees out there. Drives a bone. Better than the minus 30 that hit the place that winter, though. There was nothing there. Nothing to do just the job. No amenities. Uh, there was a McDonald's. That's really about it. The oil workers were making, uh, most of them had not gone to college yet, they're high school graduates, or they might not go to college. Why? Because they're making mid-six figures. What's the point if you're going to college to, get to make money? The McDonald's workers were making $26 an hour. Now, the whole shooting match went bust when the oil prices collapsed. But one thing's for sure, it's easy to find workers if you're willing to pay them enough to do something that they don't even like. I did not meet a soul up there who was working there because they loved the job. You know what they loved? The money. If companies pay truckers what they deserve, enough where they love the work because they love the money, well, you know what happens? You get more truck drivers. And that's a much nicer drive than working in the oil fields of North Dakota. So the supply chain is soluble. You just have to recognize the newfound primacy of labor. And for a lot of people in capital, a lot of CEOs, that's just too hard to take. Shame on them. Now, there are individual signs of price degradation. we got mildly lower used car prices, but only after a huge run. Home sales are cooling as prices have gotten to way too high for first-time home buyers. That will ultimately lead to lower home prices. Last week, we heard from Kraft Heinz that we had to get used to higher prices across the board for foodstuff. And what happens this week? Corn collapses with a bumper crop. That's the kind of nonsense that occurs when everybody wants to raise prices, and you got some guy from Kraft Heinz saying it's all, all going to hell, and then corn, corn peaks and goes down. But what I'm uh, uh, talking about occurs, y- you got to forget this whole transit inflation and get used to this new term. It's the first time you're going to hear it. It's called peak inflation. Turns out we don't need the Federal Reserve to destroy the economy in order to save it from inflation. With enough time, capitalism is going to solve the problems on its own. The bottom line, how about this? Be patient. Don't panic. We're getting there. The seeds of deflation are being planted as we speak, and the blossoms, and remember, I'm a gardener, and the blossoms will soon be self-evident to all but those who want to bet against you, the Fed, and capitalism I feel like going to Michigan I feel like going to Jerry in Michigan Jerry! Hi Jim Uh, thanks for uh, taking my call of course Um, I am um, an AT&T investor and Given the recent uh, drop in the stock price, I'm considering uh, uh, an additional investment
2: between now and the time the uh, Time Warner and Discovery merger takes place. Uh, uh, Just wondering your thoughts on that. Uh, I'm trying to find –
1: I usually keep sedatives on the desk. Where's the sedatives? i got the spam – I don't want you buying ATT. I think that that's one of the worst stocks. Now, 25 it's okay. Anybody have any sedatives? At 25 it's okay. Now, I don't want to miss around, Jerry. I, I think that stock, if it goes up 2 bucks you have to... Sell, 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 Bad balance sheet, bad management, bad ideas, bad, okay? They should rename the ticker B-A-D, all right? Sorry to be so direct, but I think that people come to me for honesty, and that's what you're going to get. Be patient. Please do not... The seeds of deflation are being planted. I've seen them. I'm a gardener. And they're going to bloom soon. On Mad Money tonight, this week, CBC has been profiling the lost workers as we emerge from the pandemic. And I'm highlighting the winners and losers so you can make money off the worker shortage. Then there's a whole new cohort of banks on Wall Street. And I'm ranking the revolutionary players in the space. And Okta completed its acquisition of Auth0 in May. So I'm checking in with this incredible identity juggernaut cybersecurity play.
5: Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, Plus, ninety-three percent of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over one hundred forty million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a seventy-five dollar sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Where have all the workers gone? That's the biggest question in this market. Last Friday, we got a very underwhelming employment report, the second one in a row, with only 194,000 jobs created. Experts were looking for more than like a half million. But it's not that there's no demand for labor. If anything, it's the opposite. We're seeing tremendous wage growth, with real wages up 4.6% year over year, and the overall unemployment rate tumbled from 5.2% to 4.8%. Now, you'd think that would be good news, but when the unemployment rate falls precipitously at a time when we're not creating many jobs... That tells you tons of Americans are dropping out of the workforce. Yet we've got an intractable labor shortage. Just yesterday, we learned that a record 4.3 million workers quit their jobs in August. In total, more than 30 million have quit their jobs in 2021. Long story short, we're losing workers at an unprecedented rate and it is wreaking havoc on the economy. All week, CNBC's been digging deeper into this story with a series of segments it's called The Lost Workers. Tonight, I want to put money, my mad my money spin on it. Rather than trying to figure out why people are dropping out of the workforce, it's my job to show you how to play it. I have ideas about why they dropped out, but that's we're going to talk about the winners and losers. Let's start with the biggest losers. OK, as we see it, the hardest hit companies are the ones whose employees are engaged in drudgery, hard, monotonous work. Workers are fleeing these jobs in droves because they think they have better opportunities other places. Now, we're calling this on, on Mad Money. We're calling it the Great Resignation. Take FedEx. Remember, they flat out told us they're suffering from a worker shortage a few weeks ago. We weren't sure how much it was COVID or how much on we. of well, the conference call, they cited their hub in Portland, Oregon, which currently only has 65 percent of its staffing it needs to handle its usual volume. That's created a huge supply chain snafu in itself as tons of packages have been diverted to different locations as Portland just doesn't have the manpower to handle it. All told, FedEx thinks it took a $450 million hit from the labor shortage last quarter. That's amazing. While we're talking freight, don't forget about J.B. Hunt, the big trucking company. I keep telling you we've got a severe shortage of truckers in this country, and the only way to solve it is if these companies start paying the drivers a lot more money. J.B. Hunt and his peers are reluctant to go there because that's bad for earnings. But sooner or later, they're going to have to bite the bullet. They'll get a lot more traffic if they do. Let's hear what J.B. Hunt says, their report Friday. Beyond transportation, we're seeing strikes all over the place. People don't want to work physically demanding jobs that need to be done in person when they have other alternatives. So suddenly organized labor has real relevance for the economy. We know Deer Stock has been pummeled down more than 4% over the past four days. It's not all just because corn price went down. It's also because workforce rejected a collective bargaining agreement on Monday. So a strike could be in the cards. So if you simply look deeper into the 4.3 million workers who quit their jobs in August, the biggest losses were in food services and accommodations, followed by retail, then healthcare and social assistance. Those service jobs are rough and they're often poorly paid. That makes me a little worried about all of these sectors, hospitality, retail, healthcare. care. They're all likely to have to swallow higher labor costs if they want people to keep showing up to work. For years, capital's been crushing labor. The boss is cleaning up while the rank and file get the short end of the stick. Now, for the moment, the roles are reversed. Now, is that really that terrible... What about the winners from the workers' charge? Okay, in general, a tight labor market is bad news for all employers. Why? Because they have to raise wages, which eats into earnings. But for some companies, it's also a major opportunity. So let's go over some. First, there's paychecks. the payroll processor and outsourced human resources play that we spoke to just last Monday. When paychecks reported two weeks ago, they blew away the numbers. Because businesses are desperate for their suite of recruiting and onboarding tools. Companies need to work to attract talent for the first time in ages. So anyone who makes that process easier is a winner here. Beyond attracting and retaining workers, the labor shortage means companies need to invest in technology to boost productivity. They got to do more with less. And that's Salesforce.com, the king of the cloud, especially now they've got Slack. You wonder why that stock keeps going up? It's because of this, which helps people who are working remotely to coordinate with their colleagues. And we know that's a lot of that happening. Even as the pandemic has subsided, many people simply don't want to go back to work in the office. So companies that can offer more flexible arrangements will have a huge advantage over their competitors. Slack makes that easy. What else do do you do when you can find enough workers? Well, you automate those jobs out of existence, or at least the drudgery of the of the of the job. Which brings me to one I really love. It's called UiPath. It's a leader player in the leading player in the field of robotic process automation. Basically, their software can automate repetitive digital tasks. This stock's been a house of pain since it came public in April, and I think it could go even lower. Lockups on insider selling expire in the near future. That's it. When that happens, I think you buy something. Who else wins? Generally speaking, larger companies with full time recruiting staffs and great benefits should have a much easier time navigating labor shortage than their smaller competitors. That goes double for companies that are always treated their workers well, like Costco, Williams-Sonoma, Starbucks, Chipotle. I love that Williams-Sonoma kept everyone through the pandemic, even as many of the stores were shut down. As CEO Laura Alba recently told me at my corporate governance conference, if you don't lay anyone off, you don't have to go out and take them back. As usual, small businesses get hit the hardest. So maybe you want some exposure to the small business enablers because they need to keep their costs down. Think Intuit. Their QuickBooks software makes human bookkeepers unnecessary. Same goes for Cintas, which small businesses can use when they want to outsource mundane tasks. Oh, and if you want to know where there's too much talent, too many people seeking too many jobs, in other words, great places, well, there are only three that come to mind for me. And they, they really fit the description. There's Apple, there's Google, and there's Facebook. They remain almost impossible to get a job at. Yes, Facebook. For all the this and Drag, it is overrun with young people desperate to work there. The bottom line, the labor shortage is here to stay. So avoid the losers and stick to the winners. Oh, and please don't miss the final two installments of the Lost Workers series tomorrow. Elon Musk's got a she, She's got a segment on childcare that's incredible, which is a huge source of absenteeism. And Friday, Kate Rogers will cover some unconventional, unconventional reasons why people are dropping out of the workforce. Elon and Kate are doing some fantastic stuff here. Stick with Kramer.
3: Coming up, do these stocks offer a roadmap to the future of banking? Kramer hops on the fast track of FinTech. Next.
0: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now...
1: In the last couple of months, the bank stocks have roared. But now that earnings season is upon us, that makes it difficult for them to clear an already high bar. When does it sell off in J.P. Morgan after delivering what I thought was a good quarter? Now, there's a weird relationship between the banks and the financial tech stocks, and it's not explored enough on the show. When the banks are hot, fintech's cold. When the banks are cold, fintech's hot. Why? Because there's a ton of money in this market that's earmarked for particular sectors. When money managers want financial exposure without the actual banks, they swap into fintech. Then when they like the banks, maybe because they think interest rates are going higher, that pool of money rotates back to the traditional banks. I bring this up because as earnings season gets rolling, the bank stocks are coming in hot, perhaps too hot. If the rest of them go like J.P. Morgan, which, again, reported stellar earnings, but gave, I felt, conservative color, sending the stock down hard, then it's possible we could have still one more exodus from the straight financials and one more love affair with the fintechs. So tonight I want to take a closer look at a particular area of fintech. It's a group of stocks that we're calling, starting tonight, the Nouveau Banks. Whew. Wow. I mean my graphics people, the people that the hundred and forty people behind this show are amazing. These are the tech-savvy companies, including our 10 writers. These are tech-savvy companies that younger people increasingly see as a viable alternative to the traditional banks. I've got six of them, and I want you to write them down, because these are going to be in your face for the next 10 years. There are household names among people who trade stocks. Now they need to be among you. PayPal, Square, and then here are the ones you really got to know. Upstart, a firm, Robinhood. You might know that already. And because this other one's been on our show a lot so far. Let me take it through one by one, because long term, they're running circles around the old school banks. And I think they've got the whole industry running scared or in denial that they even have good businesses. I like these businesses much more than I like these deposit banks, far fewer restrictions. So let's start with two titans of the nouveau banks. Let's start with PayPal. I'll just write them down because this is like a class here. Okay. PayPal, you got that? And then, because I want to make it simple. It's kind of a rectangle. Square. Uh, These are a pair of stocks that made you fortune since they came public six six, weeks. What happened? What happened? I've been pushing PayPal since before it was spun off by eBay in the 30s. Now it's at 256. Although perhaps more important, it's pulled back from $310 at its peak over the summer. That makes it attractive. Everybody recognizes this one as a digital payments and online checkout solution. But in recent years, PayPal's gotten into a range of businesses that we typically associate with traditional banking. Their Venmo peer-to-peer payments business now handles payments and merchants. They've even got their own debit and credit cards. More important, in the last year, PayPal's gone into overdrive. They've got a buy now, pay later platform. Yeah, BNPL. They offer cryptocurrency trading and they just launched their Sure app which is like an all-purpose digital wallet that combines all these services onto one single platform. Oh, and now PayPal's even letting people open up high-yield savings accounts through the, a partnership with Synchrony Bank. I think this is huge. Younger Americans have zero faith in the old guard of the financial system. Fairly or unfairly, the banks are hated companies. There's no trust. no trust. But PayPal? PayPal under uh, 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 under Dan Schulman. Well, let me just tell you something. Oh, I've never met a younger person. Didn't say, you know, you want to talk more about PayPal? I mean, they love PayPal. It's like they love their bank. I mean, who loves their bank? I don't love my bank. I fight with my bank. PayPal is loved. My kids love PayPal. It's exhausting. So while the stock remains expensive. I think it's worth buying now that it's down 17% from its highs, which is why we added some for the Chapel Trust last week. We have much more information about PayPal in our Investment Club bulletins. I suggest you, use, you read them before you pull the trigger because you need more information than I just gave you. And we can do that in the Investment Club, which is why I always feature the, the um, QR code on David's face and sometimes here, down here, and then occasionally over here. I'm going to leave my arm up here, see if I can keep it up there. You know, it's kind of like when you go. You ever go to the pyramids and you put the pyramids in your hand or the leading Tower pizza? How about that, huh? All right. How about Square? This is another fintech story that's transforming itself into a nouveau bank. Square's got its little. It got to start with these little gizmos. You ever see like the little white things? Turn a phone or a tablet into a point of sale system. First, I went to a flea market and I saw it. I said, wow, I got to get one of those. But, you know, I ended up buying postcards. Then they realized that they had all this data about how small businesses were making their money. So they rolled out Square Capital, which offered loans or cash advances to these businesses loans, Uh, by the way, that could be repaid directly from the receipts. So if you're doing well at a restaurant, they already know how much you have because they look at the receipts and they loan. Like PayPal, Square's got its own peer to peer payment system. It's called Cash App. It is the biggest and fastest-growing part of Square. It's what everybody likes from uh, the institutional end. They were one of the first outfits to offer Bitcoin trading, and now you can even trade stocks in cash app. In fact, Square went so far as to actually get a bank charter, but so far they're just handling loans and deposits for merchants not individuals. Again, this is a great long-term story, and now that the stock's pulled back 16% from its August highs, I think it's too enticing to ignore, but not as enticing as PayPal. All right, how about these smaller operators? The Nouveau Riches. Of the, Not Richemont, Nouveau Riche of the Nouveau banks. First, you've got Upstart, the uber-Kramer-fave artificial intelligence-powered lending platform that aims to make credit scores obsolete. Their AI is better at screening borrowers than that thing, that FICO thing. This, do you not know have friends who just look at their FICO like every hour? It's like, ooh, I haven't looked at my FICO in the last hour. It, it hasn't changed that much. Uh, newsflash, it's going to be the same at 9 and 4. Anyway, this one's had a monster run. It came public at $20 in December, started trading at $26, zoomed then to $344 as people realized it's going to be a replacement for FICO. It's artificial intelligence. And best of all, you do not need people. It's been a huge winner for us. Now, technically, Upstart's not in the lending business. They're a loan originator. They connect borrowers to lenders and collect a fee in the process. It's the least bank-like of the nouveau banks, but I don't care because the numbers are just spectacular. I can't even look at it. It's like looking at a total eclipse of the sun. Is Upstart still there? (laughs) Upstart's set to more than triple its sales this year, and that may prove conservative. As the company consistently raises forecast quarter after quarter? While I think the stock might be overextended up here, you should put this one on your shopping list. Wait for a pullback, and then you pull the trigger. Because I've got to tell you, Upstart's probably the most explosive stock other than HubSpot, which David Faber just learned about today. Other than HubSpot, there's Upstart. Next up is Affirm Holdings. Now, this is Max Levchin. You know, we love that guy, Levchin. This is the company that's leading the way on buy now, pay later, BNPL. They're bringing back Layaway. Everybody's trying to get in on this buy now, pay later action like it's some sort of a new thing. Uh, younger consumers prefer to borrow directly from a firm and its merchant partners rather than take on more ruinous credit card debt. Uh, Max hates credit cards. You could tell that when he was on. He's seething about credit cards. We knew this one would be huge when a firm partnered up with Amazon over the summer, which catapulted the stock from the high sixties to the triple digits. Hasn't looked back since. It partnered, by the way, with Walmart and Target. Plus, the firm's got big plans. They don't just want to cut out the credit card companies. They're working on their own debit card with built-in buy now, pay later. Not to mention, and yes, of course, what you have to have: crypto trading. The only problem: a firm's just made a new high today, so you don't, you're not going, you're not earning it at the bottom. Might want to wait for a pullback there. I think management at a firm is creative and extraordinary. Fifth, there's Robinhood. That's the online brokerage house that's become very controversial because of reliability concerns. I've got some qualms about this one. I don't like how much of its business is based on options trading. But there's no denying that Robinhood has accomplished its goal of democratizing access to financial markets. They single-handedly forced the whole discount brokerage industry to go commission-free. Now, CEO Vlad Tenev has a new ambition. He wants Robinhood to be, aside from just safety and being the single source of trading, being the single source of money apps, a single money app for consumers. He wants it all, your paycheck deposits, your savings, your bill, uh, bill pay, your day-to-day spending. Right now, Robinhood's a long way away from any of that. And they still need to placate the SEC when it comes to their core business model, taking payment for order flow. I don't think the SEC likes this model at all. Stay tuned on that one. However, while uh, Robinhood's not my favorite, it's way too important to ignore it. But beware that there could be a lot of insider selling later this fall when a lot expire at lower prices. Now, finally, there's SoFi Technologies. Now, it's led by my long-term friend of the show, Anthony Noto. He also helped bring the street public, which has now been acquired by another company that I have nothing to do with. This one's the closest to an actual bank that of all the ones I've mentioned. SoFi's got start in lending, first with student loans, then mortgages and personal loans. Now they've got a mobile cash management offering that comes up with a Got a debit card. They got brokered services. They got a credit card. They're even selling insurance policies. So far, it's well on its way to obtaining a banking charter too. It's a new bank. Yet the stock has been a dog. I think in part because they got uh, in the business of student loans. That's where they're really in. When we first uh, met them, they were in student loan refis. It's certainly a kind of a kind of a payment hiatus right now. If you got a student loan, uh, and then also because they came public via the now hated vehicle of a SPAC. We actually now generally do dislike SPACs and mad money because of their hideous record for people who get in last and often at the high. And you know who those people are? You. Well, uh, this uh, stock has started rebounding lately. It's up nearly 20% month to date after Morgan Stanley initiated coverage with a buy rating. It's still down nearly 10 bucks from its highest earlier this year. You know what? I think it's pretty good. So here's the bottom line. It's a good time to get some nouveau, that's that's my Philadelphia accent, the uh, mayor of uh, Winmore, Pennsylvania. Um, the Nouveau bank exposure right now. I like PayPal more than Square because it's cheaper. Owned by the Investment Club's charitable trust. As for the newer ones with the firm and upstart, you need a pullback. But I am blessing SoFi right now, and I'm taking a pass on Robinhood until those lockup expirations occur. I feel like taking calls in this segment. You know what? Why don't we start with Susie in New York, Susie? Hi. Hi, Susie. Thanks for the education. Oh, you're quite welcome. (laughs) Yeah. My question is on Coinbase Global, a regulated platform for cryptocurrency. I bought it as a speculative play on Bitcoin because
5: they're profitable in a growing market with 11.3% share of global crypto assets. My question is, will margins shrink with heavy competition from PayPal and Robinhood and increased regulation? Or is the company
1: solid and innovative enough to grow market share and justify what bears say is their high premium? Well, I have to tell you, here's how I look at these guys. Uh, hey, they're interesting. Um, but you know what they did? They picked a fight with the uh, head of the SEC. Now, they're probably saying, why is Jim still harping on that? And the answer is because that was one of the most ill-advised positions I've ever seen a financial institution could possibly have. And so therefore, they can't get my blessing until they shake things up and really kind of maybe prune those who ask for uh, to school Gary Gensler, who knows more about Bitcoin than they will ever. I like PayPal first, and then I like Square. You can buy SoFi right here. And as for the new ones, do you mind if we get a little pullback? and my buddies of Firm and Upstart, which are really, in many ways, the stars of this particular quarter. All right, much more may have my in, including my exclusive with Okta and Auth0. How could the latest deal reshape the cloud landscape? I'm going to bring the acquisition down to earth, talking about the details with the heads of both companies. Now, last night, we learned that Apple may have to cut iPhone production due to the chip shortage, with the stock falling, but not that much in reaction. I'm sharing why my motto still holds true. Own it, don't trade it. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Hey, Kramer Fave Okta Run. Regular viewers know we're longtime fans of the cybersecurity company that handles identity management for the enterprise. But last month it sold off hard with the rest of the fast growing cloud cohort. In the last two days, though, Okta's vaulted roughly 9%. Now, some of that's because of the turbocharged growth quarter is suddenly back in style at the Wall Street Fashion Show. A lot of it's because Okta had this huge catalyst today with their first annual showcase event since the company closed on its acquisition of Auth0, which is another cybersecurity firm focused on authentication. They dovetail pretty well. I think the stock could have not more upside, but much more upside. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Todd McKinnon. He's the co-founder and chairman and CEO of Okta. And Eugenio Pace, he's the co-founder and CEO of Auth0, which is now an independent business unit within Okta. Gentlemen,
2: welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having us. It's great to be back on Mad Money, Jim.
1: All right. Now, Todd, let me start with you, because one of the things that I hear younger people and older people have a different view of your company. Older people like me are deathly afraid that someone's going to impersonate me and Okta stops that. Younger people are deathly afraid that they're going to have to spend a lot of time toggling back and forth and the computer doesn't know them. How have you been able to put both together seamlessly so that both young and old like Okta?
2: the way companies are solving the challenge you outlined when they think about giving their employees the best tools to be productive or they think about giving their customers the best experience to access their digital products is they're becoming digital first and or they're becoming digital first and also becoming in an identity first mode and what that means is that you balance both the ease of use for employees and customers Along along with the security concerns to make sure no one can be impersonated, no one can be hacked, no one can be broken into. That's how you take the best of both worlds: ease of use and security. You take this identity-first approach to it.
1: All right. So, what you you know, what is that? Uh, what's all zero brought to the party? Since the fact is, is that only your company makes people feel safe enough to be able to be themselves and not worry about being impersonated.
6: What we bring to the company is a developer mindset i think you know you know the software is r- running everything everything is dependent on software and that software is built by developers and what we bring it's a developer first mentality into the authentication and authorization world
1: well uh, you know, the one thing that i'm concerned about i hear about all these different hacks and i keep thinking well a lot of times the hackers are somehow impersonating people, high-level people at the company, or they're taking the place of high-level people who have left. Well, if they have Okta, how can they impersonate?
6: Well, it, I think this highlights the, the reality that it's a difficult job. You know, fixing this, it uh, requires expertise and requires dedication. But it's not the main concern of any company. You know, if you're a bank, you're concerned with banks or banking right. stuff. If you're in media, you're concerned about media and content. You're not experts on identity. We are the experts, so you don't have to be one.
2: Yeah, we, at our show today, Showcase 21, we had a great customer, Mass Mutual. They're an insurance company, but they're really a technology company. They have to have better digital experiences for their customers, and inevitably that involves getting identity right. And that's why they need a trusted partner like Auth0 and Okta to take that burden off of them.
1: All right, so talk about Moody's, too, Todd, because I think Moody's is a company, great reputation, but it has to be stellar. And no one can pay. If someone imitated someone from Moody's, it could really bring down the financial world or at least the fixed income side. So how do you make sure that, they, that people work at Moody's like uh, they like Okta, but also they're safe?
2: Well, a company like Moody, Moody's is predicated on trust and confidence, a rating agency instilling confidence with their brand. And that brand has to connect both to their employees to make sure their employees are able to do their job productively, but also directly out to their customers. And this is a great example of even an organization like Moody's is building better digital experiences. They have to connect with their customers because their customers, whether it's a business or a consumer, want to connect directly to them. They don't want to go through a middleman. And that means better digital experiences, but it also means digital experiences that are incredibly easy to use. They don't want another password. They don't want a complex registration form. And when they get into the website or the mobile app, it has to be tailored to their specific needs. So what Auth0 does is we allow Moody's to be able to focus on the application they're trying to build and not have to worry about the plumbing of identity that gets that user to that end goal. Which is
1: they have to now because of, of what we've seen, even like a Colonial Pipeline, where they had to pay. Or else are, <laughs> a lot of our country would be shut down. Todd, uh, I always figure if I... Yeah, I mean,
2: Colonial, the Colonial Jim, Colonial Pipeline, that's a big one. That's a okay. ransomware attack. And a lot of times people think about ransomware, they think about computers getting malware on them and being encrypted and not being able to open up those files. But it's also an identity attack because these legacy identity systems, the bad guys get into one computer and they leverage a legacy identity system that's not modern and not secure to be able to get to every computer and then they lock up the whole thing. And then we have a real big problem with these. So modern identity systems can help prevent this.
1: You, Henry, are you writing writing software to try to stop that? Because I I have to believe that every time, if you don't keep up to date, what happens is they figure it out. I mean, are you constantly staying one step ahead of the posse?
6: That's all we do. All all our dedication and focus is in protecting. Uh, systems uh, for developers, so they don't have to build, don't have to worry about it, and they can focus all their time and effort on the things that matter the most to them.
1: Well, that's what we want. Now, Todd, I have this vision, you know, you die, and you go to heaven, and what you discover in heaven is that it's passwordless, which would be amazing. I, everyone has different char- I mean, well, I have so many different passwords now, and I've been hacked so many different times that I'm convinced that there has to be a better way. Can I really be passwordless in this world and not the next world?
2: i 'm just imagining uh, i 'm just imagining heaven having an app or a website i 'm not sure if that 's good or bad, but if it did <laughs> you 're right Heaven would have no password and The reason why we have too many passwords is because there 's no standardization and there 's no connection between the different systems so when you go in your job when, when, companies go, when people go to their jobs for their employee their employers it 's too complicated for that employer to hook all the systems together and what Okta does is it becomes pre-integrated. We have this Okta integration network that's over 7,000 pre-integrated apps. So it's all connected. So when you go to work, we take the passwords away and we make work like heaven. Maybe that should be our new slogan. Slogan.
1: they Okta, they make work like heaven. You know, I can't think of a better tagline than in the interview on that one. Todd McKinnon, Okta's chairman and CEO, and Eugenio Pace, who is the co-founder and CEO of Auth0. By the way, before going public, Okta was a CNBC Disruptor 50 company. Next week, I'll be interviewing another Disruptor 50 CEO, Robin Hood's Vlad Tenev, at our annual Disruptor 50 summit. You can register to attend by visiting CNBCevents.com slash Disruptor 50-something.
3: Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next.
1: It is time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready to ski-daddy? It's time for later Let's go with Hal for Florida. Hal! Hey, Jim,
6: booyah! Booyah, Hal!
3: Hey, let's talk a little bit of TTE, if you can. I you. like
1: TTE. Good yield. I like this spinoff. It's terrific. These are the kinds of things I'm looking for, by the way. I like Enbridge, too. Don't forget, same price, same yield. Let's go to Clay in Massachusetts. Clay! Hey Jim, first-time caller. Started listening back in college when I graduated in 2020. Yes, I know. That, I know people my age like to give you a hard time on Twitter. I just want to say thank you for all the knowledge. Uh, Remember the investing club as well. I'm Teflon, believe me. I mean, you know, with yes. the you know with the human face. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the rising rates and inflation, I wanted to get exposure to some companies in the industrial space. So this company has analyzed earnings over the past five years, 22 percent analyzed free cash flow over the past five years at 30 percent. They've been buying back shares of that period as well. Uh, balance sheet could be a little bit better, but growth look favorable. What do you think of AGCO right here? Well, like, the balance sheet a little bit better. It bought back so much stock. I actually like that. Now, I would tell you that remember that if you has a long strike AGCO's in like Flint, so I like to call. How about Jan in Washington? Jan,
5: hello there, Mr. Kramer. Jan, how are you? I am great. You are a treasure. And I thank want you. to thank you for freely sharing your vast knowledge of the market.
1: Thank you very much, Jan. I appreciate that. Thank you.
5: You make investing more exciting than Oh, well, I sport. need to
1: keep people compelled so that they keep doing the work. How can I, Let's go to work together.
5: My stock I'd like to ask you about is TaxCars
1: car is a great American manufacturer. I like it very much. It's a little out of favor right now. That makes no sense to me. I think it's terrific. Okay. I also like Cummins. That's a twofer. I thank you for those kind words. Let's go to Calvin in Kentucky. Calvin. How you doing, Professor Kramer? I am good. How are you, Calvin? I'm doing very well. Thanks for taking my call. My question uh, is about XL Fleet. They've been really beaten down lately. XL Fleet was one of the worst things I've done. I talked positively on the show. I had them on. I, I screwed up. I screwed up. Why? Because I got everybody was excited about hybrids. Me, too. And uh, I cost people money. I apologize. I should have done a better job. Won't happen again, but I can try at least. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
3: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, supply worries may have shaken some investors to the core. But don't make a move on Apple until you hear Kramer's take. Next...
1: When the market turns turbulent like it is right now, how do you get your bearings?
3: In an uncertain world...
1: I'm always telling you to have a shopping list ready for these moments when the whole market looks like it's going to get hammered. You can be
3: certain Kramer has your back.
1: These companies didn't just sit there and take a beating. They got up off the floor at their darkest hour and reinvented themselves.
3: Give us a call and let's find the market's winners together.
1: Here we go again with yet another round of worries about Apple's cell phone sales. Yet I remain sanguine and continue to earn for my charitable trust, which you can see by joining our investment club. How can I not be concerned when everyone else is fretting about Apple's supply chain woes? Simple. I've seen this movie many, many times. 11 years ago, it was antenna gate. The iPhone 4 had a problem with its antenna, and Apple stock got crushed, although I don't blame you if you don't remember, given that it turned out to be a fantastic buying opportunity. I came rushing out on the main set on CNBC to tell you so. It was a seminal moment when Apple actually had a a real hardware flaw. But if you look back at the chart, you can't even make out what happened. It just bounced around from 13 to 14 on a split-adjusted basis. It's 10 times higher now. Since then, we've had tons of these stories. China slowdown issues, remember that one? Chatter about supposedly lackluster new models. Endless talk about how the new phones are simply tune-ups, not upgrades. Or how about when Apple decided to stop reporting iPhone unit sales back in November of 2018? That was one of the most seminal bear moments for Apple. The stock plunged from the 50s to below 40. Remember, a lot of people were saying that Apple's uh, best times were behind it. That's pretty nasty, right? Now, I remember these because I came on TV each and every time and urged you to take the other side and buy more. I said, you don't get a lot of buying opportunities in Apple like you have here, right? So you got to take it when you can get it. Well, how'd that do? So what about now? It's true that Apple's having trouble finding seven doctors. That's, that's a fact. It could be $10 million short this quarter. I don't know. In their forecast, maybe they have to cut by $10 million. But if Apple's struggling here, just imagine how bad this is for the rest of the industry. You really think this will be Samsung's big break? Are you going to switch? No way. The semiconductor shortage is everywhere. How come I'm always so confident in Apple? Two reasons. They have the best technology and the best customer loyalty in the consumer product space. That's very rare to have best tech and best loyalty. What's that mean? It means if you can't get your hands on the new iPhone this quarter, well, you're most likely just wait until it's back in stock next quarter. I'm not kidding. Well, wow. OK, I'm not kidding. In other words, any near-term shortfalls will be made up in the not-too-distant future. People talk about Apple losing sales, but I think they're really being postponed. Sure, it's hard to believe that semiconductor suppliers can manufacture enough chips, and they're the source of the problem. The whole industry has too much demand, not enough supply. And for all we know, COVID's putting even more pressure on the group. Sooner or later, though, they're going to make enough chips. So is this a non-story? And not if you're a hedge fund manager. If you're running money professionally and aggressively, it means you got to trade aggressively. If I were still at my old hedge fund, I bet you I know what I'd do. I'd probably short the stock of Apple here because you have to expect more number cuts are going to come and no stock can withstand number cuts without falling. The analysts love to go after Apple. There are a lot of pseudo bull, fair weather friends, real sunshine Apple patriots, and they'll do their usual subtle savaging. But unless you're managing money full time, trading in and out of Apple is a bad strategy. Long term, I just think you're better off if you own it, not trade it, because most people simply aren't nimble enough to get back in at a lower level. Just look at the chart. Nobody's looking back and kicking themselves for being too bullish on the stock of Apple. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts
0: now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.